Well, good morning, church, here in, uh, in the Worship Center and live stream. We are, as we go through the book of Micah, in Micah chapter 6, and the paradigm in verse 8, the key verse in this book where the Scripture says, Has he not told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do two, three things, to pursue justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Pursue justice means that you pursue that which is equitable and right and fair, especially that you speak out for those who cannot protect themselves. We saw in Deuteronomy 10, that means the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. Uh, we know in James chapter 1 in the New Testament, it's the widow and the orphan. So justice, do the right thing, this equitable. Secondly, you love kindness, hesed, the word kindness, which means a determinative action on our part to pursue the good of other people. And in light of the New Testament, especially towards those who don't necessarily want it or who deserve it. In fact, in a startling statement, Jesus says to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. He says, if you love those who love you, he says, everybody does that. But you're to live at a different level. So it's, it's, a, it's an amazing statement. So the book of, of Micah talks about a group of people in the 8th century B.C. before Jesus comes who are going to go into captivity because God has hidden his favor and his face from them. And they followed kind of a sequential step. And, and step number one was that they were men and women who abandoned the pure worship of God. They abandoned the pure worship of God. They walked away from, from the prophetic teachings. And when they did that, they secondly made idols to satisfy their own inclinations. It says regarding idols. In chapter one, he says, all her carved images in Jerusalem, I shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. So they're, they're idols. And the leaders in chapter 3 were supposed to speak the truth and to love good and to speak out against evil, but they did not. And the prophets were to speak the word of God in chapter 3, but they did not. They, they preached for a price. If you fed them, they preached for it. If you didn't, they wouldn't. And so the leaders, idolatry, and then you misuse people. You make an idol that says it's okay to misuse people. It's okay to pursue greed and avarice at the expense of other people. And so in chapter 3 or chapter 2, it says that he says that when the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power of their hand to do what they have dreamed on their beds. They would lay awake at night and say, how can we defraud people? And they got up in the morning, they did it because they had the power. He says, they, they covet fields, chapter 2, verse 2, when they seize them, they covet houses and they take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. And therefore, they mistreat people because they've made idols. Because chapter 6, verse 16, they've received horrible counsel. He, said, he says in chapter 6 that you've walked in the counsel of Omri and Ahab. And they were two wicked kings from the Northern Empire. Omri, we don't know much about it. Ahab was a really bad dude who married a really, really, really bad woman. A really bad woman. Her name was Jezebel. It's a bad name. 
just, just as an aside, I was involved in a couple of weddings this weekend and just underscores the fact that apart from dealing with your salvation before Jesus, the most important decision you'll ever make is who you marry. Hear me. So enter into marriage with great counsel and prayer. But these men did not, and they walked in wicked counsel, and the Lord says, therefore, I will make you a desolation. So judgment came. But, but, but in the context of that, God says, I'm going to scatter you, but I'm going to gather you. When you and when you get back together, th- th- this is the type of people you shall be. First of all, you should, chapter 6, you must remember what the Lord has done for you. That's part of the Red Sea. He said, I, I turn curses into blessings. He says, and as you remember that, you are to worship me aright, verses 6 and 7. They were making the sacrificial system a bartering chip. God says, no, the sacrificial system expresses your heart and for signifies the coming of Jesus. And as you remember and you worship aright, you're to walk this way. You're to pursue justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Today, we're covering walk humbly with your God. Really, the best translation probably is be very, very careful how you walk before God. Be very careful how you walk before the living God. Be very careful as you think and as you think and as you think and then as you live. If we're to walk carefully, we must think well. In chapter 7, he talks about the character of God. As he closes out the book, he says in, in, in chapter 7, verse 18, Who is a God like you? says you a God who pardons iniquity, you pass over our transgression, you will not retain your anger forever, but you delight in steadfast love. You have compassion upon us, you will tread our iniquities under your feet. That's the type of God you are. And so these thoughts about God, and as I I read that and pondered that, I thought this was before, obviously, the coming of Jesus. This was before Jesus says, I am the temple, I am the sacrifice. It is before Christ, of course, died on the cross for our sins, rose victorious, ascended to heaven, poured out the Holy Spirit, is praying for us before we had the full scripture. And I thought, how much more should we ponder the greatness of God and the fact that God delights in steadfast covenant-keeping love and hesed love, that he, he treads our iniquities under his feet, which is a fulfillment of the promise, the first promise, gospel promise in Genesis 3, where the Lord looks at the serpent and he says, you will strike his heel, the child of the woman, but he will crush your head. How much more should we think these thoughts and, and, and rejoice and, and be glad? And so we want to walk carefully because, listen, so much is at stake. I read an editorial recently by a guy who's a stoic, a philosopher at Wright State University. And he's not a believer, but boy, what he said was just spot on. He says, it is easy to live in the, live in the danger of a mislived life. To come to the end of your days and realize you've pursued nothing but fatuous dreams. That there's nothing but brokenness behind you. And he says, we must live with true intentionality. And I'm, I'm saying, biblically speaking, I, I, I walk here. So I'm going to give you three ways to walk carefully this morning. Three ways. Number one, to walk carefully, you must really grapple with the first part of verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, beneficial. Leads to human flourishing, 
leads to joy. He has shown you what is good, and because it is good, he requires this of you. This, this is a good thing, and he requires it of you. God is for us. There, there are some verses here in the, in the worship guide in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 2, going over the word live, which means to flourish. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Live. Psalm 119, several verses, two verses, says, let your mercy come to me that I may live, flourish, that I may, let me know uh, that for your law is my delight. Again, Psalm 119, uphold me according to your promise that I may live or flourish and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Psalm 57 translates the word live to revive. He says, I I, I am the God who revives the heart of the contrite. I, 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 I breathe life into the heart of the contrite that they may live. And I just stopped and I said, do, do I, I want to really comprehend that I, God has called us to, to, to flourish before him, to live with certainty and joy and, and, and purpose. And the quote by Lewis that I gave you last week, uh, Lewis says, this, these, these aren't coordinated up here, I'm sorry. Can you put the, there you go. C.S. Lewis says, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. His compulsion is our liberation. I love that, I love that. His compulsion is our liberation. And then Augustine, who died in 430, one of the great teachers of the church in his confessions, which is such an incredible book, says this, this sounds very foreign to us, but listen. For what am I to myself without you but a guide to my own downfall? See, we live in a culture that says, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. But the old, the old teachers in the church who love the Scripture, a guy like Augustine, what am I to myself without you but a guide to my own downfall? He says, I need grace. I need the vision that comes from knowing the living God. Now, years ago, there was a movie called Braveheart. You can show the Braveheart poster now. Braveheart, starring Mel Gibson. Um, I think, unarguably, the best movie ever made. No doubt about it. At least in the top five. Easy. But if you remember the movie, uh, it's about William Wallace from Scotland. They were trying to overthrow the, the British, the, the English. And so at the end of the movie, William Wallace is captured, and he's very cruelly and horribly put to death. And, of course, his arms are tied. And he cries out what? Freedom. Freedom. That's the universal cry of the human heart. Um, if you go to, if you watch any rally, any protest movement, somebody's going to hold up a sign that says, freedom. Freedom. So here's the rub. Romans 6 says that you are slaves to the one you obey. Romans 6 says there's no such thing as freedom. I mean, everybody is going to walk as a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of some movement. Some person, 
some ism. You have never met an autonomous, free person in your life. They're all part of some system. We're all going to bow to something. Example, 1966, there was a song released that won the Academy Award for the best musical score that year, and the song was entitled Born Free. It became very popular when I was in high school and college. We sang it, and it is, um, I'll, I'll just tell you some of the words. Born free, as free as the wind blows, as free as the grass grows, born free to follow your heart. I hope you follow this illustration. I think it's pretty strong, but you may not. And then, and then another stanza goes like this. I don't know that in my heart. It says, uh, uh, stay free where no walls divide you. You're free as the roaring tides, born free to follow your heart. Um, Again, I sang that mindlessly, didn't stop to think what it meant, just sang it, which is really sad. But when you think about the lyrics, um, grass, born free, as free as the grass, grass isn't free to grow. Grass needs water and sun, and fertilizer helps. Okay? Too much sun, you burn up, too much water, you get rotten. So there, there's law, there are these, these laws. How about born free as the tides? The tides aren't born free. I mean, we know what low, low tide is going to be and high tide is going to be. The, the tides didn't wake up this morning and say, like, yeah, we're going to do high tide at 2 o'clock this afternoon. You know, they, they don't do that. Now that. To me, that's just microcosm of, of us. We, we are going to be an apprentice of, a disciple of, a follower of something, a person, an ism, a movement, a mindset. So when I really look objectively at life and look at this stuff, I say, I want to be an apprentice, a follower, a disciple of the one who said, if you abide in my words, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to, that's, that's the one I want to follow, the one who said, Free. The, the one who is, one of his apostles said, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, his name is Jesus. The, the one, again, Apostle Paul says, all things were made by him, through him, and for him, and in him all things hold together. That's the one I want to follow. So if I'm, if I'm to walk carefully and to walk diligently, and to, to, I must understand that, 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 these, these walls called the scripture, they're not confinement. This is a scaffolding from which I can build my life and see to the horizon. There's not walls, there's scaffolding as I follow Jesus. So to walk carefully, I must understand that God is for me. Now, here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we've got to think well. We've got to think well. So, I recently read a book by a guy who said this, and he said, in, in the long history of media or information technology, there have been two Mount Everest moments. Two. The first was in 14 and 40, when Gutenberg developed the printing press, and so a city or a village that had, a village that had maybe just a couple of three or four books, 
that could be read now had numerous books mass produced. And so there's an upper trend. And then he said, the next Mount Everest moment, this is kind of, this blew my mind. And I've asked several people and they said, you know, we think he's probably right. The next Mount Everest moment was 2007 with the mass production of the smartphone. So with the smartphone has come incredible knowledge. I can tell you a lot of things just, you've got it. The downside is that with the smartphone, well, there's a lot of there's the downside, there's a lot. But one downside is the inability to think deeply or even well. Now, let, me, let me phrase it. So we're so used to boom, 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 that we're, it's hard to stop and think. And I'm telling you that we need to think well to live well. We've got to think deeply about the character of God. In this book I read, he said that said the average goldfish can have an attention span of looking at you, this is what he says, for seven seconds, which is much longer than the attention span of most Americans. So, so a goldfish can give you more attention than most Americans. Think well. That's my plea. Um, last year, many of our community groups read a book called, uh, it's about disciplines, it's called The Common Rule. And it's, the, more, the more I thought about the book, the more I liked the book. He says there's four things we should do daily to build our thinking abilities and four things we should do weekly. I'm just going to mention the four things he says we should do daily. And again, I, I, I like what he says. And they're, they're simple. He says, the, the first is this. He says, when you get up in the morning, uh, you take in the scripture before you look at media. If you have a print edition paper, before you look at the paper, before you turn on your computer, your PC, and look at the headlines, you take in scripture to help build your mind. That's, a, that's one. The second thing is this. He said, you must, um, uh, one hour a day, Turn off your phone. Which you say, well, you, you turn it off, you put it up, close the cabinet. And in the aftermath of that, I've read three independent studies that say that if you are in your room and your cell phone is in your room, even if your cell phone is not turned on, you're not able to concentrate as much as you should. And think about that. One, one hour a day. I mean, just think well. He says, he says three times a day, morning, noon, and night, get on your knees before God and, and pray for a couple of minutes or more. And just say, Lord, I need your grace right now. I'm not. And the fourth thing, he says, one meal a day you eat with someone else. Because it underscores the fact that you need community. You're made for community. I, I got to tell you, I like that. But, but, but when you talk to people about it, it's kind of like that's, that's really really pretty radical. Last week at elders meeting, our campus outreach director, Matt Reagan, gave an example of, of his, the staff, our campus outreach staff, probably almost all of them are under the age of 35. They're young. And he said that they've collectively talked about the fact that social media has become so toxic that maybe they just should become people that embrace the Amish motif. They just withdraw from social media. They don't, they don't do social media. And really the Amish, what's interesting about the Amish, just an aside, the Amish get a bad rap. You know, we think they're, they're no, the Amish look at 
all inventions and, and they decide, is this going to build us as a community or will it tear us down? And so most Amish communities, unlike the Mennonites, when the automobile came out, still to this day, they do the horse and buggy thing because they, automobiles will take us here and here and here and will destroy community. And they, they have combines and all the farming machinery, but, 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 but they say no automobiles. I'd love to be in a room where the Amish discuss the smartphone. That would be a very interesting conversation. So all I'm saying is we must fight hard to think well. Number two, if we are to walk carefully with God, we must understand from the background of the book of Micah, the issue of idols. Idols take us away from the pure worship of God. Now I want you to hear me here right now. It's easy to address idols and to attack idols when we're talking about Things such as substance abuse or immorality or go through the seven deadly sins, whether it's pride, lust, uh, anger, greed, gluttony, sloth, whatever. It's easy to attack those things. But what's interesting as I look at Scripture is that idolatry can involve very good things, things that we would trumpet as being exceptionally important. Example. And undoubtedly, what I think is the most bracing statement in the Bible, it's in Luke 14, and it comes from the lips of Jesus. And he says, everyone who comes after me and doesn't hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. I'm going... Well, what he's saying is that the reality of Jesus must be supreme. Everyone who comes to me doesn't hate his father and his mother. And I'm I'm going, wait a minute. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you. So what's going on here? What he's saying is that if you want to be me, if you want to be the best son you can be, then make the worship of Jesus preeminent. Find your hope and your trust in Jesus. Or, or wife and children. I love my wife and children. I mean, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church. And yet he's saying, saying hate. And what he's saying, if you want to be a good husband, a, a godly husband, a, a godly spirit-filled dad, then you must be someone who understands this. Christ must be preeminent. Brothers and sisters, the same thing. Christ must be preeminent. So I've got to step back and say, an idol is anything that supplants the supremacy of Jesus. And idols always operate on the law of diminishing returns. Idols never deliver. Never deliver. You think, finally, I can marry that person, I'll be happy forever. Well, you're going to have joy, but there's going to be issues, and no. If I only have these children, I can be happy forever, no. If I only have this job, I can be happy forever, no. If I can live here, I can, no. They operate on the law of diminishing returns. That's why we must find our satisfaction in the reality of Christ. Whenever I think about these things, I hear about, I think, I hear Luther's hymn in my, the back of my head that says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. Let goods and kindred go. It's really the supremacy of Christ must be 
uppermost in my heart. Or I think of a hymn that I heard as a child. Um, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Remember that, some of you that are older? It goes, we can never, we, can, we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. And that means you bring everything before Jesus and say, Jesus, this is yours. For the love he bestows and the favor, for the love he shows and the love, favor he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. You, 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 you find your joy in Christ. So if I'm to walk carefully, I've got to understand the nature of idols. And see, it's all about worship. It's all about worship. The Ten Commandments. See, it's, it's, I think it's, you have to be careful not to just jump into a commandment and, and because the first four deal with the supremacy of the living God. Then you do this. It says, you, you, it says have no other gods before me because I've got to be your joy. Don't make an idol because I've got to be your joy. Don't misuse my name because my name is holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Think deeply about me with God's people. Then this relationships. Father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't lie, I mean, don't covet. I mean, it's, it's all about understanding the glory of God. And number three, I must, if I walk well, find absolute goodness in knowing the living God. Go back to chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. This God who delights in steadfast love and who treads our sins under his feet, who pardons us, this God that these dear people in Micah's day saw dimly with hope, we now see with clarity and, and bright lights, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the glory of Jesus, that, that this is who we worship. This this is the happy life. This is the life of joy. There's a quote that I'll put in here from Augustine again. Augustine says, and this is the happy life to rejoice in you. That's it. And there's no other. For they who think there is another pursue some other and not the true and highest joy. I'm going, man, God, show us your goodness and, and may we rejoice in you. And then I was thinking about the concept of biblical adoption and reading the old confession of faith. And just well, let me read one paragraph. When it comes to adoption, it says, they are counted among the children of God and they enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. Wow. They inherit his name. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness and they are enabled to cry out, dear father. They are given compassion, protection, provided for and corrected by him as a faithful heavenly father and they're never cast off. And I thought, May the adopting mercy of God grab my heart. Behold the greatness of the Lord. Now, as we think about walking carefully and living carefully, let me encourage you, challenge you with this. This is uh, everyone here, worship center, live stream. Listen, uh, at Christmas, we take up something called the Lottie Moon Royal Christmas Offering. It is an offering that uh, supports 
3,700 Southern Baptist missionaries worldwide. In the last hour, I said that 98.9% of every dollar given goes to the field. There's a gentleman here who's worked for the International Mission Board, and he came up to me and says, I need to correct your, your stat. I said, okay. He said, 100% goes to the field because the salaries of the workers and at the International Mission Board is paid through the cooperative program. So every, every dollar you give, 100% goes to the field. I didn't know that. I'm glad to know that. So last week we gave you a prayer guide with seven missionary families. I know six of them very, very well. I've spent time with six of them, lots of time with six of them. And the thing about missionaries is that um, they're like us. They have good days and bad days. They're like us. They have marriages that have good days and bad days. They have children that are joys to their heart and sometimes children that break their hearts. They struggle with health issues. Their, struggle, their, their kids struggle with health. But, but, but they are there representing us and taking the gospel to many, many millions of people who've never heard the name of Jesus. And you won't be saved unless you bow your knee to Jesus. You won't go to heaven until you bow your knee to Jesus. So there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So we support them. And, 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 and we either go or we send and we always pray. Some of us stay here, and we're witnesses to our neighborhoods. That's great. Some of you will go. All of us give and pray. So as Lottie Moon comes, and this has been a very difficult year with COVID. You've been very good in your giving. You've been very gracious. Thank you, church. Thank you so much. But I want us to be very cognizant of the fact that, um, that our missionaries are there, and they need to be supported. So what I'm going to ask us to do is, this is over and above what you normally give, your tithe. Um, I'm going to ask every adult believer in this church who worships here, internet, whatever, every adult person uh, who is not in school to give at least $250. Uh, so a lot of us can give a lot more than that, but that's just, that's just a bar for us to shoot for so that other people can go and hear. Romans 10 says, how can they call upon him in whom they have never heard? They can't. And how should they hear unless someone is sent? They can't. So we send people. And we're so glad that we have the opportunity of doing that. So I think of these dear people that we've sent out and we support and we love. We love them and their kids. And it's just, it's just great to be involved in something that's glorious and eternal and worldwide. Isn't it? I, I, it just thrills my heart. So um, hear that. We'll be taking up this offering through the month of January. Um, but that's what we do. That clock says I have a little bit more time. So I'm going to take another two minutes and, and just say this. Because you give, and because we're able to set aside a good part of our budget for missions, we have what we call Barnabas Partners. And they're, they're key people that we have just said, you're part of us. We're your church. We want to adopt you. We want to bring you in. And so we stand beside these Barnabas Partners. We send them on marriage retreats. We 
Sometimes we'll get a call and they'll say, you know, we've hit a wall with our child. Our child's going through a hard time and we've got counsel and we, we need some help. And because you give, we're able to fly them home and love them and surround them and, and care. Or they'll have a physical issue. We're able to fly them home. So it's just good. Thank you for being people who give and care. It's great to be part of a church. It's great to be pastor of a church that has a vision for the world. So thank you for that. Lord, thank you for today. And we want to be people who live out Micah 6. We want to do justice in praying and caring for those really so many times who are on the margins. We want to love kindness, and which means extending favor to those, even those who don't want it or who, who speak ill of us. And we want to walk humbly or we want to be very, very careful, Lord. We have one life. We have, we have just a few years. Life is a vapor. And we want to live it with a sense of, of destiny and calling, yoked under, yoked under the Lordship of Jesus. We want to be apprentices, disciples, followers of Jesus. So do that in us, Lord, and teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.